baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. I'm what you wanted. It's in your eyes. I'm picture perfect. I'm always right. I'm only vapor. It's only lies. We can be Put some uh, real time. Reardon family uh, texting drama on Valentine's Day, Sue. My, my wife texts and says, yeah. hey, how about we plan ahead so much, especially for a, a night like this. Uh-huh. Um, she says, I feel like Chinese tonight. And input on Chinese. She, I didn't answer right away. So then That I got sounds the, good. I might come. I thought so, too. And then I, I didn't answer right away. I noticed that. So she said, input on Chinese, which means answer my question, yep, right? Yep. And I said, sure. Like what? We noticed there was a place over in Valley Park where the shack and the tavern is that's a, a Asian place. So she says, I was just going to go to Panda Express by her school and Ooh. grab her a cupcake for Valentine's Day. Is that okay? And then she said, never mind. It's closed today. And I said, wait, what? And I think she was actually referring, maybe she was. Why would Panda Express be closed today? Because it's Valentine's right, Day. It's Tuesday. That I don't make any get sense. it. Hopefully, if, for what, those people in Fenton trying to go to Valentine's don't don't take my word for it or my wife. It's got, I'm confused by but that. But Rebecca, you know what? That happened to me one time when I went there and it was a day that I thought they should have been open and they weren't. So uh, who knows? I'm very confused. It's a Valentine's Day confusion. It's she's, a mystery. I think she's live texting me right now. Uh, you know what? I'm wasting the time of our Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, who's probably just absolutely <laughs> captivated yes. by the conversation as we start this hour on 97.1 FM Talk. But I do want to welcome him in. He was nice enough to drop by the building. I think it was just last week, Andrew. Good to talk with you again. How are you this afternoon? Hey, Mark. Appreciate you having me on. Well, look, this is when this whistleblower report from Wash U came across, um, you know, my eyes last Thursday morning, I think it was. I was I was stunned. And then I read the affidavit. And let me ask you a question about the affidavit that I saw from yesterday. Was that an affidavit from this whistleblower that your office actually sat down and took with her? Yeah, that's an affidavit that was given to us by the whistleblower. And so those those allegations or evidence that she's provided as part of this process and has really the first piece of what is it's going to be an ongoing investigation. But it doesn't stop with the whistleblower. You know, we've got to get to the bottom of this and root it out. And we've got to figure out what was going on, because if even 10 percent of the allegations in the whistleblower affidavit are true, we have a significant problem on our hands. And it's about standing up and protecting children. I mean, what we see is that this isn't medicine. This is child abuse pursuant to what is in the affidavit. And so th- this should scare people. It, it should. And, and it is child abuse. And one of the things I said with Brian Kilmeade, I was talking to him in the last hour, is in Andrew, um, I, I don't know, you can't really do this logistically, but if you did strip, you know, try to strip the politics out of this, and if you just looked at the cases that she offers, the examples of young kids under the age of 17, 16, who came in with mental, severe mental health issues, and then were hopped up automatically on hormones. That in and of itself would warrant a pretty serious investigation here. But then you have everything else that's put on top of that, I would say. 
Oh, absolutely. Two, two points to make here. Number one, you know, the, the allegation is that these puberty blocking drugs and cross sex hormones were administered at will without any kind of real clinical assessment and inadequate parental consent. I mean, the allegation is that the clinic lied to parents. That, that is devastating because we know for, scientifically that these types of medications can do irreversible and permanent harm to these kids. That's why we've seen in 2020, Finland, the country of Finland, moved away from these kinds of treatments in favor of psychotherapy. Let's talk to the kids instead of mutilating them. In last year, in 2022, England did the same thing. They moved away from this kind of uh, mutilation treatment in, in favor of psychotherapy. Even France and Sweden have thrown the caution flag and say, hey, we need to be talking to these kids, not doing irreversible harm to their bodies and getting them addicted to medical treatment that they may never never recover from. So Jamie Reed came to your office several weeks ago, right, to, to report on this? Yes, she has reported to our office the allegations that are contained in the affidavit. And I would point out, like, look, the the whistleblower and I probably don't see the world the same way. I mean, this is a a whistleblower that supports transgender rights. But but here's where we agree. She's concerned about the safety of the children that are supposed to be receiving medical attention. That and, And the allegation is instead of medicine child abuse is occurring. And so that we have a responsibility to stand up and conduct a full and thorough investigation to get to the bottom of it. And that's why we've marshaled resources from across state government to, to, to embark upon this investigation to make sure we have all the tools in place to remedy the situation and protect the kids. So what is the next step? Is there an obvious next step? And what are you doing right now? Well, first and foremost, we've asked the clinic to institute a moratorium. I mean, five days ago, the university told us that they were also alarmed by the allegations, that their highest priority was patient health, and that they want to hold their professionals to the highest ethical standards. At this point, we believe this is rogue doctors and staff, and so we've asked the the university to institute a moratorium, and we gave them until until today to respond. So we're awaiting a response, and we believe we'll get one. We're hopeful that there will be a moratorium where they're not harming kids moving forward and give us a chance to conduct the investigation. So then after that, what's you're just – investigating and trying to get to the bottom of some of the questions after that for for the next few months? Well, yeah. I mean, look, we've we've got an investigation we've got to conduct, but we're ready to go to court on this. I mean, there there is a criminal aspect. There's a civil aspect. There's a juvenile court aspect. We're going to marshal all state resources that, that we need in those kind of three categories of law to make sure that we're protecting children. And, and I would think that the institution would want to do that as well. I mean, look, uh, again, I don't know how you acknowledge the seriousness of the allegations and agree that there needs to be an investigation and then not agree to a moratorium. So we're hopeful that the institution will make the right decision here and, and put a stop to this while we look into it and make sure that the proper control and safety measures are in place. There, there's a spokesperson for our mayor, Tashara Jones. His name is Nick Dunn, who tweeted this out four days ago. You can't tell me as the state legislature is considering a bill to strip kids of life-saving gender-affirming care that there's suddenly, he put that word in quotes, a whistleblower complain about the region's largest provider that administrators that administrates rather those exact services. Now, I've seen this a lot from people on the left doubting whether or not some of the allegations here are true. And obviously that's part of the investigation. But look, she brought receipts, didn't she? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the whistleblower is credible because her political ideology w- would support the kind of treatment, but not when it starts to harm kids. She cares more about the kids than the ideology. And so that, that there is veracity in the allegations, and that's enough to start the investigation. And we'll see where it leads. But I'll tell you this. If kids are being harmed, we're going to put a stop to them. We're going to use every tool at our resource, every resource at our disposal to make sure we're protecting kids.
Andrew Bailey, the Attorney General of Missouri, keep us posted. This is a big case. Obviously, it's getting national attention, and I wish you luck at trying to find out some real answers here to what is a child abuse scandal. Andrew, thanks again. Hey, thanks, Mark. We're on it. We're going to stay on it. All right. Take care. Thank you. That, it's just an amazing story that, and Sue, you were gone when this kind of blew up the other day, but it's it's a huge story. And I have mixed feelings telling people to read this because I know you a little bit, and I know the types of topics that might make you queasy to your stomach, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And my wife would probably feel the same way, but there are things. I read a good portion of this on the air the other day because I felt like people needed to know it. And, and again, going back, some of the things that should jump out at people, take the trans stuff out of it just for a moment the the actual transitioning just look at the kids that she says came in confused about their lives mentally ill all kinds of details where you would say oh my this this kid needs help this kid needs desperate help but the help that they prescribed was the hormones that was it they weren't some of the kids weren't even asking for for transitioning but that was what Mm. they gave them anyway Mm -mm. all right let's get on to a different story that people are buzzing about today and that's dan mclaughlin's uh, message that went on on twitter sue did you read that i did Uh, i don't want to read the whole thing i'll I'll start off here he said i'm sorry now this this happened early december we know that we talked about it in the aftermath because uh dan was a very popular person here in st louis um, on the broadcast for valley sports midwest he's a friend i've known him for a long time he started at kmox uh and he screwed up. He's majorly yeah. right. And, and then he was fired. He was let go from Bally. And he wrote this message. I am sorry. My message must start with that. I realize that rings very, that rings very hollow for some. I understand that. All I can ask is you read this with an open mind. He kind of goes into some of the uh, the details. Now he starts with I'm an alcoholic. I think people recognize that that was the case. But yeah. the next part of it is where we get into some new information. He says I have severe depression and anxiety. I'm a human being. I'm flawed. I make mistakes, and some mistakes are more costly than others. In this case, my mistake has taken away my dream job, my career, my dignity, and my self worth. I'm ashamed, embarrassed, incredibly sad. However, I don't want pity. I hope this can be a wake-up call if you're struggling and a push to check on your loved ones, even if it's hard. And he kind of goes into details here with um, the uh, alcoholism and also the anxiety and depression. Now, this is particularly curious for me because I have, and I've done this publicly, I've expressed some of the information about my own anxiety and depression that was severe about eight or nine years ago. I'm, I was in a position, nobody knew it, Sue, you know, the people, Fred, other people I worked out would pull in here every day. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do the show. I had had anxiety and pretty extreme cases for a good portion of my adult life after, you know, I was out of college, but I'd never had any kind of bout with depression that I was aware of. And then I remember this because I went to a, a concert in Louisville I have to see what the date of this was. That would pinpoint the time frame here. I went and saw Pink in Louisville, and I just felt like I didn't feel like myself. I didn't want to listen to music, and that was like the opposite of what I usually wow. do. So I knew something was wrong, and then it was kind of mixed with the anxiety and depression, or with the anxiety rather, and it became uh, unbearable to the point where I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I haven't had a drink since 1990. I can't tell you that I didn't think about turning to alcohol because I did, but I didn't do that. And I found, I was very lucky, I found a shrink here in St. Louis, a a psychiatrist, and after some hits and misses, got on uh, some medication that has helped me. I do firmly believe that some forms of depression and anxiety can be, you know, solved without medication, that exercise is very important, nutrition is very important. So I'm not, certainly not anyone that rules that out. However, this was interesting to me because um, I've never talked to Dan about that. 
about anxiety and depression. I recognize that it is a very, very serious uh, situation. Yeah. Most people would never realize that. I, you know, I was struggling with that just being on the radio, opening, cracking my mic, trying to talk. It was horrifying. Oh. I would sit in the parking lot out here. I didn't know if I could come in the building. Then I'd finally muster up the courage. I'd had to go into the bathroom and take paper towels and wipe oh. the sweat because I was sweating so much because of the way the anxiety was, you know, affecting me. And then, you know, he mentions in his, this was relatable as well because he talks about uh, medication that he was taking that he double dosed. Never a good idea. I've never done that, by the way. I don't know if that's really a good idea, but he talked about having an empty stomach. Certainly relatable because if, if you go, if you go back and you ask Dave Klein in particular, who worked me many years, there were, there were times where I was below 160 in my weight. I was in the 155 to 160 range, way too skinny. Oh my okay, gosh. I'm at like 168 right now. So I was about 12 pounds less than I, and I don't weigh that much right now. I couldn't eat. I couldn't eat because of the anxiety and depression. So I related to that. Now, let me say this too, and I haven't talked to Dan. I actually coincidentally reached out to him last week. I had asked oh, a bunch of different, well, good. here's what happened. I asked people, and I run into colleagues and people that that know Dan. You know, we, we all broadcasters know each other. I've been playing racquetball with Chris Kerber, and I've asked people, hey, have you talked to Dan? And most people, no, I you know, I shot him a message. And I, I had exchanged a message with him when all this happened. But I thought to myself, on Friday, I was driving back from a lunch into downtown. I thought, you know, I'm just going to call him because um, I ask other people, why don't I just ask Dan? So I, I left a message. He didn't answer. I guess I didn't expect him to answer. And I said, look, I just wanted to reach out and, and see how you were doing. And then this happened today. I would have some mild criticism of the way that this was rolled out. Let me just explain that for a okay. moment. And, I, you know, Dan probably doesn't give a crap Question. what I say. When you were going through this, would you have liked people to reach out to you? Well, of course, it wasn't public. I guess that's a different deal. But... You know, that's a good question, though. Let, let's address that for a moment, because I don't I don't think I mean, it was so private. I didn't want anyone to know. Right. And the only so, reason that I'm talking about these things and I have now for the past two and a half years is because I do feel like people need to hear it from this standpoint. Dan and I, we didn't work together in the same room, but we certainly were colleagues professionally. He was on my show quite a bit, maybe going through some of the same stuff at the same time, not even knowing it. You would assume, by the way, that people in a broadcasting position like that with a microphone or he's on television wouldn't have to deal with these issues, and you would be wrong. So from that standpoint, I think it does help people recognize that even someone like, I'm not trying to make myself out to be anything special. I'm just saying you would assume that with a guy that has to, in order to get a paycheck, open a microphone right, every day right. and speak on the radio, that this would be something that I wouldn't have to confront. But you'd be wrong. In fact, there are a lot of entertainers, not that I'm a fan of hers, but Barbara Streisand comes to mind, paralyzing stage fright. Now, the uh, performance anxiety and the other type of anxiety that I'm referring to a little different, but I think that there's cross-pollination. So if you have extreme anxiety, it manifests itself, at least in my case, of, holy crap, I feel so weird. It's not being nervous, ladies and gentlemen. I can't even ex describe it. But then I'm, I feel weird. I can't get this weird feeling out of my body and my brain. And now I have to talk on the radio, and I'm afraid that everyone's going to know that I feel this way. So then the fear feeds on itself, and you're even more anxious. I imagine the the... The, it was very difficult then for him to um, write this, right? And 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 uh... yeah, no, I don't think this was. I don't think any of this is easy. I, I suppose the one thing that that I would ask is: is there anything that jumps out at you about the timing? Oh no! Wait. Well, it was spring, oh, spring training, training started yesterday. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure that was the best timing to to take take away from that. But who knows? I mean, I have no idea. Well, it's also top of mind, though, right? It, when you think of baseball, you wonder yeah. what happened to. I, I I get it. 
I know that if you read this, he goes into great detail here, um, says he takes full responsibility for his actions, um, says there are no excuses. I'll tell you what took place. And he kind of goes into the details of how he doubled up on the medication because he had forgotten to take it the day before. And then he referred to what I said earlier. There are times where I don't eat. I had eaten. He says I hadn't eaten in at least two days. I can't tell you how much I can relate to that, Sue, when I'm going through the throngs of this. I eat for two days, I, I would gosh. Be, I would be on the radio, so I would wake up in the morning. I can't even tell you that I ate anything at all during the day, right? And I would get through my show. I wouldn't even know how I would get through the show. I'd get to 5 o'clock because that's when I, you know, wrapped the show over on KMOX for years. And when I finally got home in the evening, I could finally take a breath and say, okay, I think I could eat something. But it wasn't that I was hungry. It was that I sort of knew that I had to eat. So I, I get it, you know, and these are tough things that people deal with. So if, if the messaging from Dan is to say to people, look, a lot of people go through different things and we all experience different versions of issues like this. But then there's the alcohol and driving when you're completely wasted and potentially killing someone. And I'm not so sure that he confronted that particular aspect of the incident in full fashion, in my opinion. Um, but that's just me. I don't know. And I'd love to talk with Dan if you would call me back and, and answer my call. But I do care about him. I think he's a great broadcaster and a friend. We weren't particularly close or anything like that, but I did want to discuss it just a little bit. And I, I have gotten more public with all this, Sue, you know, just explaining to people what I've gone through. Some of it is maybe eventually I'll write a book, but I can't remember all of it because it's sort of a blur, unfortunately. By the way, awkward segue, but we'll do it anyway. Chip Carey, the new guy, on the show tomorrow afternoon right Ooh. here on 97.1 FM Talk. Selling a little... Or a lot. <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app Audio cut of the day coming up here before the show wraps up, probably right around 5.50 on 97.1 FM Talk. Tomorrow, we're loaded up tomorrow, we have Chip Carey, the new voice on television for the St. Louis Cardinals, my classmate from 
Parkway West, 1983. He'll join us and a couple other things that we've got cooking as well. Um, I mentioned this on the show yesterday, and I thought it was a really good topic. I think I did in the 3 o'clock hour, which is why we scheduled Spencer Dalkey right now. Um, Spencer is an intern at The Federalist, wrote a great piece, though. He's a journalism major, which I think I have some pity on him for that because of the state of journalism, but wrote a great piece about something that happened in Colorado. Uh, Spencer, you're a major at Patrick Henry College. Is that correct? How are you this afternoon? Yes, sir. I am doing well. Um, yeah, I'm just dandy. Well, let me ask this question before we get into details about Colorado, just because I was a journalism student myself many, many moons ago, decades and decades ago at the University of Missouri. And I'm always curious about this because of the state of journalism. Why do you want to be a journalist? Just out of curiosity, what's your motivation for it? Um, primarily, uh, I mean, one thing that I really enjoy doing is I just I just enjoy telling stories. Yeah. And especially just the state of especially um, entertainment nowadays and whatever. I just feel like there's there's a need for like really good storytellers. But you're not here. Uh, this is a great answer thought, like, because you're not trying yeah, to change the world. Right. Like a lot of the progress because the progressives answer that question, Spencer, and they say, I want to change the world. Right. You gave a good answer. You want to tell stories. Right. You're skeptical about things. Probably you want to share stories and, and be a storyteller. That's a great answer. Sure. Right. Just don't yeah, be a talk show host. The truth, really. Stay out of the talk show world. That's all I'm asking. All right. All right. Get get the hell out of my space. Anyway, you wrote a great story about something that happened, though, in Colorado um, related to MSNBC and something they said. It's the Woodland Park School District. So you did a great job writing about this. Share this with my audience this afternoon. Yes. OK. So basically what happened is um, Woodland Park School District is um, a, a school district in Colorado that removed a book by Ta-Nehisi Coates called Between the World and Me yeah. from their curriculum. Um, and uh, the, the, basically the idea was just that it, the book isn't teaching history as it is, and it wants to boil it down to simply like victims and oppressors and whatnot. Um, but MSNBC went after them and had um, Chris Hayes had Coates come on to his show to defend his book, but forgot to or neglected to um, ask uh, to look into the details of what really ended up happening. So right. MSNBC was boiling it down to an issue of race when it really wasn't. Yeah. So MSNBC's Chris Hayes um, talks about this particular case, and he says, even in a place like Woodland Park, Colorado, where a school board member grilled a high school teacher about one of the texts taught in a history elective. Now, what happened was, is as you report in this, you have a guy by the name of Dave Illingsworth, who is the vice president of this school district. And on January 25th, he's got an applicant for an empty board position. He quotes from Coates's book. All he does is say, hey, do you agree with this? He goes, in the 2015 book, Between the World and Me, Tanishi Coates writes, among other things, the power of domination and exclusion is central to the belief in being white, and without it, white people would cease to exist. My question to you, do you agree with this teaching? Would it be appropriate or even lawful to teach a child to view a person inherently bad or dangerous simply because of the color of his skin? So that was the question to the applicant, which in and of itself was problematic to Chris Hayes and MSNBC, right? Um, I mean, I can't speak to their motivations, but from what I was seeing, especially from the clips that I saw of MSNBC, it looked like he was having having some issue with it and wanted to boil it down to simply, well, they don't want to teach black history. Right. Um, wow. So that's that's what he said. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the claim about all these things. So you in your piece at The Federalist and you can find all these things at thefederalist.com, you kind of hit back with um, the, the lies because there were a couple that you highlighted here. Um, one was that Woodland Park wants to indoctrinate kids. Right. Yes. 
Um, that's that's not true. It, it, from what I I did, I did a little re- well. I did a little research. I interviewed Mr. Ellingworth and and their superintendent, and they were saying like what I was just telling you. Like really, they're just trying to get answers. They just want to teach history as yeah, it is. It's a right. complex web of all sorts of things, um, and there you can't boil it down to just winners and losers or victims and oppressors. What about the uh, the other thing? I think that you covered. Let me flip the page here. Was oh because the the issue about whether or not this teaches hate. What was the uh, deduction there? Um, so the, the school district didn't end up removing, like they didn't end up banning the book, which is what I think MSNBC wanted to paint it out. But they did point out that the book is, and especially from this passage that I had a chance to read myself, it, it sounds very much like Coates is trying to paint like white America is just founded on dominance and exclusion. Those were the two words that he used. And so um, he was trying to argue that he's not trying to classify, you know, he's not trying to say we need to exterminate white people. But, I mean, the effect is still the same. You, you, you see a white person, and if you read this book, you say to yourself, oh, this person just, he's white, so I guess, he's, I guess he just wants to dominate and exclude others. Yeah, the, the whole thing, and this is the—look, we're getting into some of this here in St. Louis with local school districts. Uh, you go back and forth. It's, to me—and and this is why I think it's important to expose some of this stuff—even when you try to write about this, I don't think you really get a grasp of the entire concept. You have Chris Hayes, on the one hand, on MSNBC, telling lies about what this guy might have done in a school board meeting. That takes off. It goes viral on Twitter or whatever situation on social media, and then people believe what they want to believe and maybe not the truth, which is part of the problem with journalism today, uh, Spencer, I think is what the issue is. <laughs> yes. Um, the thing that was really interesting is, is, I mean, Hayes describes himself as a journalist, but journalists, above all else, have like a they regard for the truth. So, I mean, if, the, if he's going to make these claims, I mean, that's fine, but he's got to have the evidence to back it up. And I don't think he took the time to really look into like the whole story, which is which is something he's going to need to work on if he wants to call himself a journalist. Well, but I don't think he, he would. My, my, one of the points that I guess I would like to make with you, and this is where journalists and people who want to be journalists and reporters would come into play, is there's so much that's just omitted. It may not even be something that um, they say or report that, that isn't true. I would use a local newspaper as a, you know, an example of that. But there are things that are omitted from so many different stories. And on this very topic of race and teaching race in the classroom and whether or not you can teach history, I've seen all these complaints about whether or not you can even teach history, African-American history. Well, of course you can, right? That's, I don't know of one person, Republican uh, elected official or otherwise, who is telling people in classrooms not to teach history. Are you aware of any of that? Uh, uh, sorry, would you repeat that one more time? I, I guess my point is is that there's this claim that continues to be made that the the effort on the part of Republicans and people like, I guess, this guy even in, in Colorado, Dave Illingsworth, is that you ask questions like that because you don't want the real truth of African-American history being told. That has nothing to do with it. No one's trying to stop the actual history being told. They're trying to stop the divisiveness and the woke indoctrination, which is, I think, one of the points of that question to begin with in that Colorado school district, isn't it? Right, right. Um, the problem with, like, you know, critical race theory and whatnot is it, it does try to boil down history to something that it's, it's not what history really is. Like, there, there obviously, there, there are good lessons to learn about, like, how to do right and how to do wrong. 
um, and we should learn from that. But we also need to understand that, like, history is, like I was saying, I mean, it's complex. Like, um, Well, that's why they call it revisionist history, when you have different things that come into play in the classrooms today because they're revising the history, and the actual history is not good enough. But look, Spencer, I appreciate you writing about this on The, uh, on the Federalist because it is something that people need to know about, and unfortunately, stories like this aren't covered as much when they happen at school boards because then conservatives just get told that they're not trying to teach actual history in the classroom. Spencer Dalkey from The Federalist, good luck with the career. I appreciate coming on. Thank you. Thank you. I think Kilmeade kind of agreed with the job security claim earlier today, too, because you got Nikki Haley getting in, and this is going to be a big horse race again. Lots of contenders. Too many from my taste. And I know Brian said that, you know, if we end up with seven or eight contestants, I guess that's a decent number. Would we have 16? But when I saw the slate up on Fox today, Sue, over like 16, 18 people. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Right. I think it's just uh, a little too much. But everyone's going to have to make their decisions. I've already seen people kind of pull into camps. I would keep an open mind. Nikki Haley... Is fine. I don't know that I'm, you know, all revved up about it. The video that she put out today was was fine. You know, her background. I, I don't know what she offers that would be better than Ron DeSantis, who would be sort of making... Has he announced? No, and he's yeah. not. If I were Ron DeSantis, I'd stay out as long as you can, let everyone else make their mistakes. And yep. get you know, the question for Ron DeSantis is, and I, I think it's a lot different than the name I'm about to toss out there, but if you go back to what was happening in late 20. 14 or 2015, some of the names that were being mentioned at that time that didn't last very long. One example, Scott Walker, who was the governor of Wisconsin. I've known Scott for 25 years now. And young governor, very successful, controversial, staunch conservative. He got in a little too early and he realized it very quickly. He got out of that race very fast because the fundraising wasn't there. It just didn't seem to be his time. And I think he was hoping that there would be some sort of you know administration appointment or something to keep his name in the um, in the media for a while, maybe to make another run. That didn't happen. Hmm. Uh, but I, I don't know what's going to happen here because it's so unpredictable. Many of us sat back when we saw Trump get in the race saying, there's no way that guy could win that nomination. And then, of course, he steamrolls everybody else and eventually everyone's out of the race. All right. A couple other things that I want to talk about here. Clay Travis, who I, I like quite a bit. Clay does a, a competing talk show, um, I believe, but I see him on Fox all the time. He said this today. This is a good question. How would the media be covering Trump if he'd allowed a Chinese spying aircraft to traverse the entire country without taking action? And then the U.S. shot down three objects and refused to explain what they were or why it was necessary to shoot them down and even said it might be aliens. So what would because he said because this is all happening right now and most of the media is trying to convince you that Biden is a hero and there's nothing here to see it at all. I think that's a pretty good question, right? Well, I, how, yeah. well, I think the answer is obvious, too. It's a rhetorical question. The media would be going nuts if Trump, well, you can you can play this out and say it would never happen, but if Trump would allowed a Chinese spycraft to go across the whole country, including Missouri, people would have gone nuts. Yep. And the media would have gone nuts. At this point, we don't know what the hell is going on out there. Senator John Kennedy, I played some of this earlier, says we need to know more at this point. We need some more transparency. I understand the need. For, for national security secrets, but uh, now that this cow is out of the barn, uh, the president and the director of national intelligence needs to address it. So General Mark Milley came out today, and one of the things that they talked about, and I think this had leaked yesterday, is they fired this missile over the object or at the object over Lake Huron. They missed the first time. The missile uh, landed harmlessly in the water of Lake Huron. Uh, we, we tracked it all the way down. Uh, and we made sure that the airspace was clear of any commercial or civilian or recreational traffic. All right, here's a little more with John Kennedy. We don't know what they are. What's different about the last 
two weeks is that we've started shooting them down. But we can't find the remnants, except for the, 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 uh, the, the spy balloon. And that's what I took away from the hearing today. When you so said this has been happening many times, they are lost. They can't find them. The, the remnants are in very difficult terrain, low temperatures, uh, lots of inclement weather, and they're looking, but they haven't been able to find them, except for the spy balloon. Well, I did have yesterday, I don't have it in my audio folder today, but I had the theme from Close Encounters uh, at ready because I thought that was <laughs> certainly something that applied. All right, let's do this because I have a couple this afternoon. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Hey, it's sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. Two locations. Check out the Good Feet Store at thegoodfeetstore.com. This is something that somebody dug up on the uh, the Head Start website, which is for you know kids before they get into kindergarten yeah. and uh, et cetera. So they there was this training video that they put out a couple of years ago that's still up on their website that was teaching preschoolers. This is even more horrifying when you think about everything that we've learned. Preschoolers to by the way, one more step there. Preschoolers with autism on how to wear masks. I know masks can take time to get used to, but I like how cool your mask is. Oh, painted it. Oh, I see that. You painted your mask to make it extra special. Uh, bunny. <laughs> that bunny nose you painted makes you look just like... By the way, listening to this and not seeing the video and just listening to it at the same time, it's even wow. creepier than watching the video. Good, good. A soft mask feels a lot nicer on your face. Uh, uh, off, off. Oh, oh, honey, do you want to take your mask off? <laughs> this is real, by the way. This is real. They're basically saying, you know, wear a soft cloth mask because those are better for you. <gasps> oh, look, why don't we practice wearing it for just a little bit first, okay? Uh, Fluffster? Oh, of course. Fluffster and I will both practice. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, here's what we know. I can just simplify it. Masks don't work. So why they still have that up there on the Head Start website, but it's kind of horrifying to think that they're teaching kids with autism in particular to mask up, especially now knowing that the masking doesn't work. Libs of TikTok has been an outstanding resource for talk show hosts like me across the country. Here's one that confuses me about pronoun pins, and this person doesn't think it's that difficult. Maybe I'm more annoyed about this than I should be, but it feels like extra disrespectful to misgender somebody when they have a pronoun pin on. Like, you know, I know I'm femme presenting. I know I look like a girl, but it's right here. It's like, uh, I have a they, them, their pronoun pin right here. So what are you supposed to do? So that that's a person that wears a they, them pronoun pin. I'm still a little confused by this. So she's not wearing she, her. So you, you misgender her if you say she, right? You're supposed to say they, You're then, supposed when to say you... They, okay. Well, that, yeah. You, you have to follow the rules. And people still call me a girl. People are still using she, her, and it's like, guys, come on. I'm, I'm not asking for much here. Wait a second here. She just misgendered everyone else. She just said, guys. What if Good there point. were girls? What yeah. if there were girls that she was trying to include in these conversations? I'm literally just asking for people to use my pronouns. That's all. Come on, do better. Be respectful. It's not hard to be respectful of people's pronouns. Can we try harder, please? You know, all I'm trying to say here is just it be respectful of people. It feels really sh to have something so clearly dictate what my pronouns are and people still misgender me. 
it's not hard to be respectful of people's pronouns. It's really not. You know, at the infancy of this whole movement, which I would put it like four years ago, because it's sort of bubbling up four years ago, I remember having a conversation with a listener. I was on KMOX, and I was talking about this and the nonsense, and I'm just being honest that if you start requiring me to use your pronouns, I'm not going to comply, okay? I'm not going to be mean to you, but I'm certainly not going to be told what pronouns to use. I'll use your name. How about that? Isn't that a novel concept? But I had somebody that wrote me who seemed to be relatively sane, which sometimes is a question mark, that said, "What is it? why is it so hard? What is the big deal? Just saying they, them. I, I, I guess that's the mindset that people have. But my question would be, why is it that big of a deal if somebody refers to you? I mean, what? I guess for that person, they don't consider themselves. This is where it gets confusing, Sue. They don't consider themselves a girl or a boy, right? They're non-binary. I, so if I they're guess. non-binary, they're they, them, and they don't want anything to do with being called a girl or a guy, even though she refers to uh, they. See, this is where they refer to people as guys. Yeah. Right? Yep. Something like that. Okay, I had one musical Audio cut of the day to round things out today. You know why? I thought you might Is include it Valentine's this. Day? No, it's not actually. In fact, you could almost say this is the exact opposite of not really, but I thought you would use this on Sue's News earlier today. Because it came out 40 years ago today and it featured a sizzling guitar solo Man. from Eddie Van Halen. So there you go. We'll go out with Love it. Michael Jackson 40 years ago today. Have a great Valentine's Day, ladies and gentlemen. From Clearly one of the world's most renowned romantics, Mark Reardon. Uh. <laughs> Stop it. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 